Hello and welcome to another episode of Dr. Hogg's Pod. In the past few weeks, I've been using Acrix, a piece of technology that has been a real game changer for general practice. It allows me to send text messages direct to patients. I can send documents via text and people can send text back to me and they can even send pictures. Now, that technology in itself isn't new, but it is when it integrates directly into the GP notes. Joining us to tell us a little bit more about the technology is founder of Acrix, Jacob Haddad. Jacob, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So for those unfamiliar with Acurix, can you explain to us a little bit about what it is and how it's affecting general practice? Uh, thanks, Andrew. Yeah, so at its core, Acurix lets you communicate with your patients and with other providers. Um, the most popular part of this is our SMS messaging. Um, so practices are really creative in, in how they use that, and it's everything from sending information to patients uh, to more administrative things, um, letting patients know their prescriptions already, um, to some more interesting like clinical administrative use cases, things like um, you know patients sent in a, a prescription request, but actually they need a blood test first, so letting them know. Um, or letting a patient know that their, their vitamin D is a bit low and they should go to the pharmacy, things like that. Um, so that, that's our core functionality. Um, and what we've done over the past few weeks is really accelerated a lot of the other things. So um, some practices will be familiar with Flory, which are our um, surveys for patients, things like doing asthma reviews remotely or monitoring a patient at home with um, COVID symptoms. Um, we've recently enabled the ability to let patients reply, um, and you can you can turn that on each time you send a message if you, if you want to let a patient reply, uh, sending documents to patients, um, and also the thing we've seen can really uptick recently has been video consultations. So there's there's a whole range of things there, and quite a lot more coming as well to to let you communicate with your patients. That's uh, something that I was going to ask you about a little bit later on in the podcast. But before I go into that, I was just wondering if we could take a, a few steps backwards just to get a bit of an idea of your background, Jacob. So how did you get into this particular area? I mean, have you got a background in, in IT? Have you got a background in medicine? How, how did you come to settle on this particular problem? Because it, it is a big issue in general practice, communicating with patients, and it, it generates an enormous workload uh, uh, for the backroom staff. Yes, I, I mean, I, w- I wish I could say we, we just saw the problem went after it, but it was, it was a, um, a longer journey than that. So I've, I've always been in healthcare. Um, even at a university was working on like quality improvement um, in the trust in Oxford um, and did biomedical engineering as well. Um, went into um, management consulting where we were just trying to get activity up, which um, I, I didn't think was the best thing for the health system and also um, didn't really enjoy, but saw, that, saw there being a real need um, through those different experiences for, for much better technology um, in the system. Um, and then in 2016, so four years ago, I met my co-founder, um, Lawrence, who's our uh, CTO, our Chief Technology Officer. Um, and we started out uh, spending the first 18 months focused on decision support for antibiotic prescribing. Um, so making it really easy to um, pull national guidance and work, work out for an individual patient whether an antibiotic is indicated, if so, which one, and then send advice to a patient. Um, it turns out that sending advice to a patient um, was people's favorite feature by far. And, and the, the 
smile on someone's face when a message both went into EMIS and landed on a patient's phone at the same time um, was, you know, one of one of disbelief, um, particularly in the early days. Um, and then in late 2017, we kind of shifted away from antibiotic prescribing. Um, and then beginning of 2018, launched Chain SMS. So we, we were very keen on building something that was scalable, that didn't require training, that didn't require um, sort of an implementation plan or us to come on site and install it for you, but that you could set up yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's something that lots of other sectors have done with software, but, but healthcare is um, quite behind on. Yeah. SMS um, technology in general practice is not a new thing, though, is it? But But it's not been used in this particular way before has it yeah that's correct so people are probably very familiar with um batch messaging um things like flu campaigns and then also appointment reminders um and most practices in the country are using um most likely mjog or iplato to do that um we saw this real unmet need specifically around ad hoc messaging so if you've got a patient's record up and you want to let them know that their test results are normal being able to do that in, in two clicks and being able to have templates and, and things like that. So, so that wasn't happening. And when we spoke to GPs, the, you know, the way they would do that, we saw was, you know, task admin to send that out or, you know, record a letter to give to the admin team to type up um, or call up the patient and, you know, spend a while playing phone tennis trying to get through. So there was th that kind of showed us that there was a clear need. Um, and then we've kind of seen people innovate from there in how they use us. It, it always struck me as a, a very laborious uh, way of doing things and um, our backroom staff since we started using Acrix have, have reported their workload in regards to contacting patients about appointments or medication or um, uh, blood results and so on uh, has just dropped enormously. Oh, that, that, yeah, that's, that's really, good to, really good to hear. So can you tell us a bit about what sort of challenges you had in terms of getting this to the market? So I imagine there must have been all sorts of difficult issues to do with the technology, the finances, the security. Yeah, all, all of those and, and many more. So um, on the technology front, um, we'd had, we spent basically all of 2018 um, making sure that we could make the install as, as seamless as possible, um, which was tricky when you're also integrating with the, with the medical record. Um, but that meant dealing with, you know, all sorts of different IT setups and different admin privileges and internet speeds and firewall settings and uh, internet browsers and, and things like that. That took quite a while to get right. Um, and it meant, you know, we just had to have really, really good, really responsive support. Um, which we still do today, but that's kind of why it's partly in our DNA. Um, in terms of the security, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things where um, we just, it's part of our culture. Like when anyone joins the team, like on their first day, they've got a session on um, security and why we take it seriously and, you know, how to, how different threats could happen. And, and you, you've just got to do that properly. Now, the good thing is once you do the 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 infrastructure properly so everything from like how do we deploy software to how do we update it to how do we do security um to how do we you know review clinical risk each time we do a release and things like that once you've got that working um it lets you move really fast i think one of the challenges a lot of tech companies have in healthcare is trying to do both at the same time and, and do say security in a more responsive way 
Um, but by being proactive, we've you know, been able to build new features and, and release them very fast. Um, and then in terms of financing, so we've been fortunate to get a couple of um, quite large government grants, um, which uh, particularly in our early days helped us get off the ground. Um, and then also some private investment as well from investors who really share our mission around joining up communication in, in healthcare. How did you find working with the um, GP IT providers? So they're mainly System One and Emis, aren't they? Because you, you've had you will have had to work with them to integrate the software into their systems. So how did you find that? Um, I think you know it, it did take some time. It, it, we actually integrated with Emis quite relatively quickly. So. Um, you know, in February 2017, we we were integrated with EMS. Um, it it did take longer longer with System One. Um, what took us quite a long time is to then make that that process really seamless for the practice. So, people who've set us up in an EMS practice, there's um, there's quite a lot of settings you've got to configure that you might have done or your practice manager might have done. So, trying to make that journey really smooth um, take quite a bit of time, and then also trying to you know, make sure we're interpreting the medical record where you know properly and things like that where we need to. Um, take takes quite a bit of work, um, but it's just something we've invested a lot of you know a lot of time and a lot of headspace in. Yeah. On your website, you suggest that practices should consider carrying out a, a data protection impact assessment. Could you talk us through that and tell us what it is? Yeah. So, so in really plain English terms, um, we 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 want to make sure that every practice has a conversation around how we're going to use this um, and a pragmatic one. Um, now, the great thing is practices know their patients really well. So they generally know which patients going to be happy to receive, receive their results over, te over text versus which ones want a phone call. But also it's important for them to get on the same page that, um, you know, if the practice wants to move to sending results over the phone, that they should get used to telling patients um, you know, checking that with patients when they order the test in the first place. So it, it's really, you know, what we, the, I think the most important thing practices can do is, is have a pragmatic conversation around how we're going to use this and then, and then keep reviewing that as well, you know, as new features come out and new opportunities come out or new ideas are generated in the, in the practice. Um, we've got a template data uh, processing impact assessment on our website. We've done that and put that there because it's something that some to be honest ccgs asked us for more than more than practices there aren't many practices who've asked for that but you know if that's something you want to pre prepare then um yeah those, those resources those resources are there but for, for all our products we've gone through extensive assurance with with nhs digital as well so um practices you know shouldn't need to worry about security and things on our side it's more about deciding as an organization how, how you're going to use us so this is, on a, on a practical level, we're thinking about, you know, when might it not be appropriate to use this text messaging service to send information to a patient, perhaps if the person is particularly vulnerable or perhaps if the information that you're sending might be quite sensitive or if you're sending information that might be uh, very important for, uh, in relating, for, for example, to a result. Is that is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you you know, you can send very important things, but just make sure that there's the right safety net to follow up. Um, one of the, you know the, the the best examples of it, you know, really practical change a lot of practices have made um, when implementing us is making sure they've got accurate phone numbers. 
So it just becomes part of the, the vernacular in the, in the practice. You know, when someone books an appointment, does your number end in this? When, when you see that patient or you order that blood test, does your number end in, you know, one, two, three, um, and constantly checking that. And, and those are some of the, like, smaller changes, um, but that make a huge difference um, in terms of our software, re you know, really, really working and providing as much benefit as possible. Have you come across any uses for Accurix that have surprised you? Have you had any feedback that was unexpected um so yeah we i mean we constantly get really interesting new use cases um so one that someone sent in i think they actually tweeted at the end of last week um was i mean trying to minimize uh contact um during covid they've put signs up in the car park telling patients to wait in their car and then they'll get a text when the, uh, the clinician's ready to see them and with which room to go to. So something we never would have thought of, um, but is a brilliant example of practice innovating. Um, lots of really interesting examples of innovation around communicating between with a patient and family members or and interpreters and things like that. So you know, even before COVID, we had uh, practices saying, oh, this is great when, you know, a patient's grandparent with, you know, limited English brings the patient in and I can actually... A message the summary of the consultation to the patient's parent um, but he, during covid in particular uh, particularly w with um interpreters some people have been using video consultation sending the link to the interpreter as well or to a family member who acts as the interpreter um, when they're both in isolation you know they're not in contact um, but they can all have a discussion so again you know we're big believers in keeping things simple on our side so that people can can innovate um and yeah they, those are a couple of the examples but there have been lots it sounds like accurix has come into its own with this whole coronavirus uh, pandemic how has that affected your business because it i get the sense that things have really snowballed since the pandemic started yes yeah, so, i mean we were i'd like to think we were moving um very fast before for you know for for the healthcare system um, but since the beginning of March, um, it's been a bit crazy. So we started March with three and a half thousand practices using us. Um, we ended March with six and a half thousand practices using us. Um, so over 90% um, of practices in England, um, which, you know, we, we just didn't expect to happen so fast. And our, our support team have been absolute heroes in, um, you know, being able to service that demand and get, get people set up where they've got any questions. Um, Features-wise, in terms of the, you know the functionality we offer, what's great is we've been able to really uh, stick with things that we were building anyway, or planning on building anyway. We're just doing it a lot faster. So, document sending, patient responses, um, some of the stuff coming up now um, that we can get onto. You know, we, we're just trying to accelerate it a lot faster because, in general, what we've just seen with COVID is a lot of the challenges uh, challenges there you know were always there before it was things like you know communication um being streamlined make it easy to communicate with secondary care they're just much more acute now and so that's why we've been able to to move things a lot faster um my biggest worry at the moment is just the team burning out so the, the team are working pretty non-stop at the moment um just to get things out and and as a lot of our users will hopefully know like we don't just release things we like to release them and then get feed. Well, we test them a lot before we release them, but then release them, get feedback, release an improved version a few days later, and, and continuously do that. Um, so that that's all going on behind the scenes at the moment as well. What sort of problems have you encountered in terms of the feedback that you received? Um, so w probably the the one 
that's been, you know, the, the highest volume has just been um, sorts of compatibility issues around um, video consultations. So that's something that, you know, any, any video product is going to have. It is just, um, you know, video as a technology has more moving parts to it. Um, so that's both on the, on the clini clinician end. Um, and that's why we let you do the consultation from your own phone as a clinician, because actually, generally, your own phone is probably going to be more reliable than an NHS computer. And, you know, it's more likely to have a webcam and a, a microphone and things like that. But then also from the patient end. So, you know, we've got to build something that works not just for a subset of patients with the latest phone, but for all patients who get, who get in contact. Now, unfortunately, we can't do video with patients who don't have a smartphone, but hopefully we can free up time that, you know, means they can, they can get um, more time from the practice. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's one, of the, one of the big areas we've been spending a lot of time on. Um, we've been spending a lot doing more clinical engagement around the remote monitoring pathway for COVID. So we've got a Flory um, so if you, you've got a symptomatic patient who um, goes back home, you know, isn't admitted to hospital, um, that you monitor um, using Acturix. And so we've done a lot of work in terms of getting clinical input on the questions we ask and, you know, how, how frequently they're asked and how we remind you and, and things like that. Um, and then with every feature we release, we, you know, we get loads of requests. So we released um, document sending and so we immediately have people who want to save it into the record which we, we kind of knew was going to happen but we wanted to get it out sooner without that rather than you know try and build the perfect version and it takes six months longer so we are working on things like that so a lot of it is is less problems it's more like enhancements that, that people want to see yeah. in there can I just ask so except for a few paid features you're not actually charging surgery for their use of Acurix at the moment so could you just tell us what's the business what's the business model here i mean can you can you talk us through the paid features as well what what should we expect from that of course yeah that's a really good question so yeah we don't charge gp practices anything as you mentioned some ccgs mostly in some cases it's federations but usually ccgs or stps um who are paying for sms messages like raw sms costs um, we unlock a handful more features, so unlimited pathways, which are the, the scheduled messages you can send. So things like um, if you want um, to uh, book in, you know, a, a patient to book in use and ease for 12 weeks time, automated messages for that. Or if you want to titrate their metformin dose each week, automated messages for that. Um, and then also more flory um, surveys for things like um, alcohol and smoking and BMI and, and lifestyle related things. Um, so that's available if your, your CCG is paying for SMS messages. In terms of like longer term, because obviously even with that, we're, we're not charging for the software. We're just um, passing on the cost of SMS messages. Um, we're working with NHS Digital. Uh, so we're on the new GPIT features framework. Um, so that CCGs will be able to procure us centrally. And there, we're just going to keep building out on a lot of the functionalities we've, we've got at the moment, so making it easier to communicate, communicate with patients. Yeah, and so what would the additional cost be if uh, GPs wanted to uh, use these additional services? So to, to be um, really honest, at the moment, we haven't, haven't worked those out yet. Um, and that, a lot of that depends on what the functionality is and, and what value it has and how well it's received by users. But we have standardized pricing across the board. So 
whatever it is, it will have to be something that, you know, works for CCGs nationally. Um, otherwise, we're not, you know, we're not going to get people signing up to that. Um, but it's going to be in line with other kind of comparable products, um, you know, people have for things like online consultations and appointment reminders and, and things like that will be in line with that. Uh, but that's all going through, yeah, GPIT Futures, that, that new procurement framework yeah and you're also trying to roll it out into secondary care uh, how has that worked out and are you finding they're using it in different ways to general practice um yeah so it's gone pretty pretty quickly for how you know um how new a space it is for us so i think we've got around 70 trusts using us around 40 trusts have um 50 plus users so it's gone gone quickly um they do have a sort of nationally procured video solution but um the feedback we've had is you know we're providing just a much simpler way both to implement and use and, and that's why have that um that traction um i think that's really going to be accelerated by some of the stuff we're releasing for communication between GP practices and secondary care or GP practice and community care. So that's one of the big uh, features we're working on at the moment um, and including also record sharing with secondary care, um, especially at the moment where, you know, patients aren't able to pop into the practice to pick up or refer a letter before they go to A&E or, or things like that. Um, th some of the really interesting use cases there have been, uh, for example, for video consultations. We, we built it primarily with outpatient appointments in mind. But we're finding that, um, well, two things. One, it's not just secondary care. It's We've got opticians providing MEX services, MSK services, uh, hospices doing palliative care in the community, like all sorts of different services using us for video. Um, but that in the hospitals, they're also using us to have family conversations, um, particularly you know, with critically unwell uh, families of critically unwell patients. Um, to do virtual visiting, so where families can't visit because of infection control, um, and even for doing virtual ward rounds, so where they'll have, say, one clinician take uh, do the ward round with a, with a laptop and a trolley, um, but then the other five or six or seven will be in a meeting room, so they're not exposed to, to the infection risk of, of being on the ward. Um, so, yeah, again, just, you know, it's great to see clinicians innovating, um, and it's, you know... Um, it's something we want to keep keep enabling and, and keep building out features for. Jacob, that sounds really exciting. I can see you've got lots of work to do with that. Uh, I'd really like to thank you for coming onto the podcast today. It's been really interesting talking to you about the work that you've been doing. Um, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, I, uh, one ask, I guess, would be um, to spread the word to your secondary care and community colleagues. So um, we're you know, really fortunate now to have very widespread adoption in primary care. Um, and now with SMS messaging and video calling for, for other providers, for hospital, um, district nursing services like that, please do tell them about it. Um, it's all on our website, accurate.com. Um, and then we'll have some new features uh, coming out that will let, let you communicate more easily. So do, do just keep an eye out on that. Okay, well, Jacob, thank you ever so much for coming on to the podcast. Not at all. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. If anybody would like to get in touch with me, please do email me at uh, drhogspod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.